0: Wonderful. Well, this evening we're going to be uh, looking at John sixteen. Um, so, if you've got um, you've got Bibles near you, so I do encourage you just to uh, kind of pull that up now. We'll dig into that uh, a little bit later because we're going to be using using that text and just picking that to bits a little bit uh, this evening. But um, welcome to the Salt House. Uh, if I've not met you before, my name's Jim. I'm the the Vicky here. So it's uh, really good to see you. And we've been looking at a little series, um, looking at some of the key foundations of the Christian faith. It's all going well tonight, isn't it? Uh, Some key foundations of the Christian faith, what we believe uh, and why we believe it. Um, Because what we believe really matters. I know that sounds an obvious thing to say, but if what we believe isn't uh, what scripture says, if we've kind of gone off a little degree here or there, then uh, you know the old story about if you keep walking even one degree off course, then by the time you've traveled 200, 300 miles, you're a long way from where you were meant to be. So what we believe uh, and why we believe it is really important. So uh, this evening, we're looking all about um, the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and clearly we won't cover all of that off uh, this evening, um, but I do just want to look at this passage in John 16. This is (laughs) an absolute nightmare. Do you want to look at this passage in John 16, Maybe. Wonderful. One of the things, uh, one of the best comedy sketches that I've enjoyed of all time was uh, you might have seen was uh, a guy called Peter Kay, uh, and he does this thing where uh, he takes song lyrics um, that uh, that are misheard, and he does this whole routine. Uh, I'm not going to be anywhere near as funny as him, but I really recommend looking at it. Uh, But um, NME recently did a poll of the top forty misheard song lyrics, uh, and these uh, were the top. Apparently. Um, so, firstly, uh, in number three, Adele, should I give up or should I just keep chasing penguins? Apparently. It's actually pavements. Apparently, a lot of people thought it was penguins when it was first released. So, um, one that misheard. Number two, apparently, Bon Jovi, uh, living on a prayer. It doesn't make a difference if we're naked or not. <laughs> Lots of people heard that one. And then I'm sure you're all familiar with the uh, Blank Space by Taylor Swift. Um, all the Lonely Starbucks Lovers, uh, which isn't what she sang, is uh, the Star-Crossed Lovers, but loads of people heard it as Starbucks lovers. But the reason, uh, reason I reference that is because the words that we sing or the words that we hear when we sing influence a lot about what we think the singer is talking about and uh, can influence a lot, uh, kind of, the implications of that. And so I find it interesting... I suspect a lot of us tend to get our theology a little bit at least from what we sing from the songs that we sing. If you think about it, we spend as much time or more time singing songs here in church than we do actually reading the scriptures and that 's fine there 's a reason for that but the danger is is that we begin to get our theology from the songs that we sing now that 's okay if the songs are Uh, theologically sound and are communicating all the truths to do with doctrine. But largely the songs we sing and the style we sing in them aren't designed to teach us doctrine. Now Wesley, uh, you might be familiar with John Charles Wesley, they really understood this idea. uh, Because what they did, a lot of the great hymns that the Wesleys wrote is that they took uh, pub songs, drinking songs of the day, uh, and uh, in a society where a lot of people were illiterate and couldn't read Uh, What they did is they used those songs, those well-known songs, uh, to teach really dense (laughs) theological truths. And so actually they used songs as a way of communicating doctrine, foundations of what we believe. And so I just want to ask the question, if the same is true today, if we were to apply that to some of the songs we sing, what theology do we get about the Holy Spirit from what we sing? Okay, what theology do we get of the Holy Spirit? I see a few of you cringing already. So just uh, maybe I've just quoted a couple of lines uh, from three of the most kind of well-known songs or most sung songs uh, in reference to the Holy Spirit. Come down, spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound when you fill the room. Okay, we've all sung it. It's a good song. Love to worship to it. Uh, another one. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Some of you might be familiar with that one. And then another one. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven touching earth. Spirit break out, break our walls down. Spirit break out, heaven come down. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with any of those songs, insofar as they're there to help us worship, to help us engage with the presence of God, to come into his presence. But... If we let our theology of the Holy Spirit be built upon just what we sing about the Holy Spirit, then we'll end up with an incomplete and maybe even warped understanding of the Holy Spirit, which is not the fault of the songwriters, by the way. They're not setting out to give us a doctrine. The problem is sometimes we seek to understand some deeper foundational things based on what we sing or hear, rather than necessarily diving into scriptures ourselves. And so, from the songs we sing, those ones, for example, we may mistakenly get the theology that the Holy Spirit is an it, some kind of force that we can summon uh, and floats around in the atmosphere uh, and that has some sort of experience for us attached to it. And also, maybe, that if we don't experience our heart pounding in worship, then does that mean there's something wrong with us? Does that mean we've not been filled with the Holy Spirit? And if the Holy Spirit is in the atmosphere, what happens when we turn the air conditioning on? Who knows? Now, to be fair, I don't think, uh, to be fair, those songs, we also get the sense of the Spirit being personal and relational and linked to God's presence. That's the purpose of those songs, is that they draw us into the presence of God. And that is absolutely one Uh, of the jobs, if you like, the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. We get the sense of intimacy and the sense of personal relationship. But it is all too easy, I think, to treat the Holy Spirit lightly as some sort of spiritual red bull and that we judge how spirit-filled we are by what we feel or what we experience So this evening, uh, I just want to look at a little bit about what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? What does Scripture teach us about the Holy Spirit? And this only scratches the surface. I'm aware, hopefully, I think loads of you have done Alpha and the the talks on Alpha about the Holy Spirit, if you haven't that online, or come to the next Alpha course. Um, So I'm not going to repeat a load of that this evening. Um, But this passage that I want us to look at is John 16. I think Alice is just going to come and read it to us.
1: Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin, because people who do not believe in me, in righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this new world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me and what he will make known to you.
0: Thank you very much. So that was uh, reading from verse 7 on to the end. So do keep that open. We're going to dive into uh, a couple of verses of that in just a moment. But this passage gives us a really nice summary of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is before Jesus has uh, gone to the cross, and Jesus is preparing his disciples for what will happen uh, when he dies and he rises again. All the disciples can get their heads around at this point is that they're about to lose Jesus, this guy they've given up everything for, to follow uh, the one in whom, you know, Peter's beginning to think this is the promised one, this is the Messiah. They've invested their lives in this guy, and suddenly he's telling them that he's going, and that's all they can get their heads around. And what he's saying in this passage to them is it's all for the best, because when he goes, that allows him to send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate will come. You see, when Jesus was in the body, and we looked at this last week, how Jesus was fully human. He was fully human. He was fully divine, but he was fully human as well. That means that Jesus was restricted to one body. uh, And so that meant that he could be uh, with the disciples, uh, but only as constrained by time and place. It was always going to be a case of greetings and farewells. Jesus couldn't reach the mind of more than kind of being in one place at one time, the people who were there, he was confined. But when the Spirit comes, he says, such limitations won't apply. Everywhere you go, the Spirit can go with you. When Jesus promises that the Great Commission that I am with you always to the very end of the age, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, go, surely I I'm with you always to the very end of age. And then we really disappear disappears. Well, the only way he can fulfill that promise is through the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit that we can know Jesus with us. And so the Spirit brings us to an uninterrupted fellowship forever and brings us power to be effective whenever we share in the love and hope of Jesus so if we dive into this passage, John 16, uh, starting to read at verse 7, as, as we just sort of glance and read through that passage, the first thing to notice, I think, is that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, not as it, but as he. And that's significant. There's a personal pronoun applied to the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a ghost. It's not a force. It's not a thing but it's a personal, divine being. And we've spent the last few weeks in this series looking about the significance of a God who's all-powerful, a creator, but who loves us, a God who can be known, a God whom we can have a personal relationship with. So it'd be strange if when we got to the Holy Spirit, who we've already seen was instrumental in creation and is the agent of renewal, it'd be strange if we saw him as anything less than personal, than as a being. It would be strange if we saw him as an it or as a force. Because that doesn't match up to what we know about God as Trinity. And what we see as we read the Bible is that all the actions attributed to the Holy Spirit are personal actions he searches, he knows, he teaches, he dwells, he accomplishes, he gives life, he cries out, he leads, he bears witness, has desires, helps us, intercedes, strengthens, and so on and so on. You couldn't apply that to an it. The Holy Spirit is a personal, divine being. We're just gonna have a, a picture come up on to the slide. Now, um, one of my tutors uh, at university, she was really into art and uh, really into theology, and that was kind of what she studied. She she has a a real bugbear with the way that uh, Western art depicts the Trinity as opposed to Eastern art. And she refers to the one on the left uh, as having a theology of two men and a bird. And often when we think about the Holy Spirit, she would say, we get Jesus, we get God the Father, We don't quite know what to do with the holy spirit and so often we depict him as as a bird and and that's fine there's references to that but what she says is is actually that that down that dumbs down who the spirit is it takes away that sense of equal partnership in the trinity between father son spirit takes away the idea of him being a personal divine being whom we can have relationship with and who draws us into relationship with God. And so much more accurate, I think Ben used this a few weeks ago, is something like that uh, famous icon by Rublev of the, of, the, of the Trinity. where You've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all looking towards one another, all in equal relationship with one another. So the Holy Spirit is a He. So let's crack on uh, with our passage. What does He do? Well, the passage tells us the Holy Spirit does... Three things. So if you look at verse 8, it says when he comes, when the spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, number one, and righteousness, number two, and judgment, number three. Other versions talk about he will convict the world of sin. And this word that some uh, interpreters convict the world of sin, but what he says here is he'll prove the world to be in the wrong. That verse is the Greek word uh, is, um, it's one of those Greek words where one word in English doesn't do it justice. And actually we need two words really to understand the word being used there. And those words are convict and those words are convince. The Holy Spirit comes to convict and to convince. And the thing about this passage as you read it, I think it sounds, sounds it's got words like sin uh, and judgment and convict uh, uh, and righteousness and and these heavy words that maybe sometimes we'd much rather just stay away from a little bit Uh, yes the holy spirit comes and fills us and ministry times are great and and that is absolutely the work of the spirit we can sing about his presence and but actually we need to look at what jesus says about the holy spirit as well all that is true but actually we need to deal with some of these hard words and think what is the role of the holy spirit so firstly he convicts the, word, the world of its sin. So what is it that gives us a sense of sin? What is it that makes us humble before the cross? You know, when they crucified Jesus, the religious leaders, those who were really holy and the, the religious nuts of the day, they thought they were doing the will of God in all genuine honesty. They thought they were carrying out the will of god and it's only later in acts when peter's preaching at pentecost that we read suddenly they were convicted that the crucifixion was the greatest crime in history and that their sin had caused it what was it that convicted them i remember being a, a soul survivor one year which is a christian camp for young people and the speaker just just spoken about the cross and what jesus did on the cross and came to a ministry time and did the come Holy Spirit and was kind of ready to do all the, you know, laying out of hands and all that stuff. And what began to happen is one guy stepped forward uh, and he just put a packet of cigarettes on the front of the stage. Weird. And then some other young people came forward and put more packets of cigarettes on the stage. Someone put a, uh, a little bit of alcohol on the stage. Someone uh, brought out um, some condoms, placed those on the stage. Uh, some people even brought out Uh, some knives and placed that on the stage. What was going on in that moment? As they preached about the cross, people were convicted of their sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was at work convicting people of their sin, causing them to recognize that they were choosing a way that wasn't the way that God had made them and designed and purposed them to be. And so the result, even though The preacher wasn't speaking about anything to do with how we live and behavior. Was that When they heard the message of the cross, the Holy Spirit convicted them such that they wanted to lay those things down. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin. And so when we pray, come Holy Spirit, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, actually. And we need to treat it with the utmost respect. And we need to be ready that the Spirit might convict us of sin and be ready to offer that and to ask for his forgiveness and do something about that. The Holy Spirit works to help us come to the point where we realize we need a Savior. Second, it says he will convince us of his righteousness. The Holy Spirit's job is to convince us of the righteousness of Jesus. And this is about recognizing that our needs, our deep down needs are met only in the love and mercy and grace and righteousness of Jesus. Again, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the centurion says, surely this was the son of God. Why? Because he was convinced of Jesus' righteousness. Saul on the Damascus Road, going to persecute loads of Christians, has this encounter, this vision of Jesus, and he falls to the floor and he becomes a Christian. Why? Because the Spirit had been at work in him to convince him of the righteousness of Jesus. That it's through the righteousness of Jesus, not in our own efforts. Righteousness of Jesus just means that he was perfect, he was right before God we're not and we try so hard in so many ways to get ourselves right before God but the spirit comes to convince us that we don't need to keep trying to do it in our own strength but that we can let go and trust Jesus and follow his way because he alone is righteous. Why else would we be sat in a room 2,000 years later choosing to shape our lives around a crucified Jewish criminal Were it not that the Holy Spirit had convinced us of Jesus' righteousness. And that righteousness is what sets us free to be the people that God created us to be. Thirdly then, and this is perhaps the one we don't like because it talks about judgment. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit comes to convince people of judgment on the cross evil stands condemned and is defeated I think each one of us deep down Christian or not craves for justice It's like something inbuilt in our humanity that we crave for justice Jesus on the cross dealt with evil once and for all and so there was justice but there will be justice as well when he comes to make all things new part of what the Holy Spirit comes to do is to convince us that Jesus has already judged, he's already dealt with the power of evil, but also to convince us that there is a day when judgment will come and we'll need to stand before the Lord and give an account of how we've lived our life. If we look at Acts 4, uh, sorry, um, Luke 4, Luke 4, Jesus at the start of his ministry, goes into the temple, opens a scroll. He sets out his ministry and says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captive free, to proclaim the year of favor. Jesus, in that moment, is proclaiming a judgment, in a sense, that God has sent him, the Spirit has anointed him to set people free free we tend to think judgment as uh, either you're going to heaven or either you're going to hell it's much more nuanced than that in the new testament jesus is filled with the holy spirit that he can stand up for justice that he can live a life of justice and set people free and what the spirit anoints the messiah to do he will also anoint us to do that's why we get gifts of the Spirit. That's why we're filled with the Spirit, because we're meant to be a people who enact his judgment that has been, but also his judgment that is to come. That means we align ourselves to his kingdom now. And so just as when the Spirit came and filled Jesus, Jesus was anointed to go and preach good news to the poor, at recovery of sight for the blind, to set the captive free. So too when we pray, come Holy Spirit. It's a dangerous prayer it's saying yes come and fill me let me know I'm close to you God do this in my life but actually when we pray come Holy Spirit and the Spirit comes in power upon us we're going to want to go out and serve others in the world to be a people of justice and to set captives free just want to read uh, just this little quote uh, from a, a charismatic theologian he says this on the one side a charismatic Christian's who constantly pray, come Holy Spirit, and seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but have yet to show how willing they are to become involved in God's liberating activity in the world. On the other hand, there are social activist Christians who want to liberate the oppressed, but do so without receiving their messianic spirit, who alone will enable them to do so effectively. Oh, for the day. When the charismatics become the liberators and the liberators become charismatic because Jesus was both. And as we read on in verse 12 and 15, Jesus says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And later on in the epistles we read that, when the spirit of truth comes, the truth will set us free. Free to be the people that we created to be. And so the work of the spirit, to pray, come Holy Spirit, is a dangerous prayer. It's one we want to pray wholeheartedly. It's one we want to sing about and we want to uh, kind of ask for more of God's presence. But when we're praying, come Holy Spirit. When in the Eucharist in just a few moments' time, Ben's praise over the elements, come Holy Spirit. How do we know the Spirit's at work in our life? Well, we'll be convinced and convicted of our sin. We'll be convicted and convinced that only Jesus' righteousness is enough. We can't do it in our own effort. We can only live the life of Jesus with Jesus. And then lastly, we'll be convinced about his judgment and his justice. And we'll be a people anointed to do the things that the Messiah was anointed to do and so we're going to do that for the rest of this evening we're going to worship we're going to pray come holy spirit in both the eucharist and in prayer ministry as well but just want to encourage you when we pray come holy spirit it's not just a bit of red bull to make us feel better for the week i know you don't think that but it's a powerful powerful prayer That if we let it, if we're open to it, if we're genuinely open to what we might receive, it will turn your life upside down for the better. But it will also turn our lives and communities of people around us upside down as well. It's why for years churches, Christians have been playing, come Holy Spirit. Because that's the only way that we see this broken world and broken lives transformed. Amen. Ben, lead us on.
2: That's correct. So I think we're we'll to use the Eucharist as a way of us responding. And once um, you've come up to receive... We'll be having people out there available for prayer as well, whatever it may be. I'm going to crack on with the prayer because I don't want to say any more out of what Jim has just said. Because we praise and bless you, loving Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we obey his command, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit that this broken bread and wine outpoured may be for us the body and blood of your day son. On the night before he died, he had supper with his friends, and taking bread, he praised you. He broke the bread, gave it to them, and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup of wine. Again, he praised you, gave it to them, and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you shall drink it in remembrance of me. So, Father, we remember all that Jesus did. In him we plead with confidence. His sacrifice made once for all upon the cross, bringing before you the bread of life and the cup of salvation, we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes in glory. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Just invite you to put your hands out as I say this prayer over all of us and for myself. Lord of our life, help us to work together for that day when your kingdom comes and justice and mercy will be seen in all the earth. Look with favour on your people. Gather each of us in your loving arms and bring all of us with the saints to feast at your table in heaven. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honour and glory are yours, O loving Father, forever and ever. Amen. And as our Saviour taught us, so we pray. with thanksgiving. Amen. So I'd like to invite the band to come up and start playing your music. Jimmy, if you'd like to come forward. Kath, please. Who else did I ask? Mads, thank you.
1: nothing worth more That will ever come close Nothing can compare You're our living hope Your presence, Lord I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, when my heart becomes free, free and my shame is undone in your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit. You There's nothing worth more That will ever come close Nothing can compare You're our living hope Your presence, Lord And I've tasted and seen Sweetest of loves, when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. In your prayer.